want to uh, focus on our dependence on God today, which I think is an important attitude for us to have in prayer. Obviously, that's why we're praying is because we're saying we can't do this. There are many things we can't do, and so we're beseeching the Lord, but even the prayer itself, we can't do it and can't continue on it without dependence on God. Um, So the main point here today is this, that we're completely dependent on God to do anything good, and that includes loving God, loving the church, loving our enemies, of which praying with fervency and praying with sincerity and persevering in prayer are symptomatic. That is, righteous prayer is a symptom of love within, and love comes from God. It is impossible to love anyone, including God, without getting love from God. So I want to consider briefly two texts of Scripture and the ramifications of those texts for our prayer time today and in coming days. And the first one is in, they're both in 1 John 4. The first one is verse 7 which says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So love is from God. It's not from us. doesn't originate from us. It comes from God above, down, it dwells in us, and then it goes out from us toward God and others. And the text says that it's those who are born of God who love, which means that those who are not born of God, unbelievers, lost people, do not love. They have a sort of carnal love of sorts, which is what Jesus was referring to when he said, if you love those who love you, what good is that? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. So he uses the word love there, but in a negative sense and not one that we would want to emulate or want for ourselves. Um, But your unbelieving family members, for instance, can't truly love you in the way you wish that they did. They just don't have it. Love is from God. And if they don't have God, they don't have love. And what's referred to in 1 John is, of course, not carnal love, but divine love. Love is from God. So what that means is that I cannot love anyone without God giving me love to love them with. And that's not an excuse for me for all my inability is a guilty inability. It's like the inability of Joseph's brothers in Genesis where it says they couldn't speak a kind word to him because they hated him. They they couldn't do it. I mean, I'm sure they could formulate some words about what a lovely, nice coat that was he was wearing. But they, they couldn't genuinely care for him. Um, they, they couldn't do it. They had an inability to do it, but it was rooted in their hatred of him. So this is just a statement of fact that we are that dependent. Um, if God was only to give us commands, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then leave me in my innate nature, I could never render that obedience. Um, which is to say, just historically speaking, that Pelagianism is a, is a deadly thing. Pelagianism is the, the idea that God gives commands, and if he gives them, it must imply we have the inherent ability to keep them. Well, not so. Whenever you uh, think about what is required and love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you start considering what that means. Any honest person 
should come to a conclusion that they can't do this. So I have to get love from God to love him with. I'm that dependent. I, I can't even love him without him giving it to me. Uh, I can't love the brethren without God loaning me some love to love them with. I can't love my neighbor as myself. And I certainly can't love my enemies if God doesn't give me the love for it. And why? Because love is from God, not from me. It, uh, it always comes from him. He is the source and origin of all of it. Then down in verse 16, we have this other um, very familiar phrase in this verse, God is love. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So God is love. We've heard that a million times. And sometimes the phrase is invoked by people who find the wrath of God distasteful. And they try to use that verse as some sort of an ace card that trumps all references to his wrath. And I trust that everyone knows the folly of that position. But really what that text tells us is that love is the attribute that best describes God. It is the, the queen of the attributes, if you will, just as it is the sum of all the law and the prophets. And why? Why is that? Well, if you rewind back through time to before the foundation of the world, before there were any sinners, any human beings at all, any creatures at all, what word or attribute would best describe the triune God at that point? Love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed throughout eternity in perfect love and fellowship with one another. And it would make no sense at that point to say God is wrath. Wrath against whom? Wrath from the Father to the Son or vice versa? No, of course not. That would make no sense. It would also make no sense to say God is mercy. For there was no one to show mercy to at that point. Mercy cannot be expressed where there's no sinners, and the same could be said for patience and a good many other attributes of God. So love is the right word. Love is the only thing. But there's another thought to consider. Love is not actually a thing. Love is not a substance that God gives to us. Love is a person. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And there's a parallel there in that verse. If you abide in love, you abide in God, because God is love. And so with the, the Trinity, it seems to work like this. The Holy Spirit is the fullness of God's love. And so when the Father loves the Son, he gives the fullness of the Spirit to him, and vice versa. And that could be why we have references to the Father and the Son loving one another before the foundation of the world. Think John 17, but no reference to the Spirit in that passage. Why? Because the Spirit is the love. And that's not to say that the Spirit is a thing called love, but rather to say that love is a person called the Spirit. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. 
and yet love is there at the very beginning, the fountain uh, taking first place. And that's why those who are filled with the Holy Spirit are filled with love. And it's why they walk in God's commandments, because all the commandments are summed up in love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So being spirit-filled will bring to us the love that is from God. Love is from God. God is love. Um, if you're interested in exploring this whole idea a little more, Jonathan Edwards wrote a meditation on the Trinity and, that explores the idea. And it's in a book called Standing in Grace, if you're interested. If you type that in, you can find it um, out there. So just to conclude this, God demonstrates his love toward us through Christ and giving him up for us to die on the cross. He demonstrates his love toward us through Christ. But then the spirit, God manifests his love in us through the Holy Spirit, who is in places called the spirit of Christ and the spirit of the father. And that's how the love of God dwells in us is through his Holy Spirit. And so we want to pray in the spirit and in complete dependence upon God, without whom we can, we can do nothing. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, the, the hidden sap that goes from the vine into the branches that causes them to bear fruit, fruit of love. And without that love, we cannot pray aright. And without the Holy Spirit who brings it, we cannot pray aright. Amen.